Bibles turn to Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 if um, 
We just heard, let me tell you about my Jesus. If you've never heard the backstory of that song, I would encourage you to look it up sometime on YouTube. We saw it in part of our sermon the other Sunday, and a powerful, powerful story of how that song was written. Well, we've been talking about activating agreements. Uh, we all hear voices. Um, uh, we hear things in our mind, thoughts, and some of those things are true, some of them are not. And the key is to agree with what God says and to reject or break the agreements that Satan tries us tries to get us to make. Jesus said you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you what? Free. free. Satan is about enslaving and stealing. God's about setting you free. And so we've seen some agreements about God, which are the most important ones of all. We've seen some agreements or some lies versus truth about ourselves. And this morning we're going to talk about agreements about life. Agreements about life. What do you believe about life? What is life? What's it for? So look in Philippians chapter 1, and uh, we're going to read verse 12 today. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to reference another verse or two as we move along. Uh, Paul writes from prison. Paul's in prison when he writes the book of Philippians. But I want you to know, uh, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. I was listening to a pastor talk about when he started, uh, when they started their church. It's a large church today, but of course, you know, large churches oftentimes start a small churches. There was a church plant, and one of their early uh, converts was a guy named Jerome. Uh, Jerome had been in jail for drugs and uh, most of his life. I mean, he was in his early twenties, but since he was a teenager, he had been involved with drugs and selling drugs, and uh, ended up in jail. But he gave his life to Jesus. And uh, they said, uh, the pastor said he became uh, just this fantastic Christian. You know, this person just in love with Jesus, serving Jesus. And he said a couple of things about Jerome that really stood out to me. He said, first of all, he said, the thing that Jerome did was he, he first of all, he just started coming to church. Come to one service a week, then two services a week, three services a week. And he said before long, he was just there Every service, no matter what it was or what happened in Jerome, was just there, soaking it all up. And he began to get involved, began to serve, right? Began to get involved and serve and said he was just kind of that guy that would do anything, whatever needed to be done. He served on the greeting team. He served on the vacation Bible school kind of team. Uh, he was even the early screen guy. This is 20-something years ago. This church was one of the early screen churches. Now, think about 20-something years ago. The screen does this, right? <laughs> okay. You don't have the screens on the walls. The screen comes up this way. And you have an overhead projector. And what do you put on overhead projectors? Anybody know? Transparencies. That's right. You use transparency. Some of you guys have used overhead projector before. And so Jerome was the overhead projector guy. And uh, said it really wasn't the, probably the best guy for that. He volunteered for it. But uh, one reason is because one of two of his fingers had got shot, shot off in a drug deal. And so while he's changing it, people are looking at it like, does he have the right number of fingers? What is it? Because you can see your fingers on the overhead projector. And so the other thing was, Jerome loved Jesus. He'd be worshiping three verses behind. <laughs> you know, you forget to, to flip the transparencies because he's just worshiping Jesus there. But Jerome just, I mean, he just had this complete life change, a life agreement. This, what is life about? It's not about drugs anymore. Life is about Jesus. And he said, furthermore, his life really began to change. When he started preaching through the book of James, and he challenged people to memorize James chapter 1. And Jerome did. He memorized James chapter 1, and James chapter 2, and James chapter 3, memorized the entire book of James. Not the only one. Remember, any of it memorizing several, several uh, other complete books 
of the Bible, going to hide his word in my heart that I might not sin against thee, right? This is Jerome going all in with Jesus. And he said he began to lead mission trips, taking the church on places that, uh, you know, he knew about, other folks in the church probably didn't know about. And, uh, and the pastor said, no, the one thing I, he said, I don't even want to tell you about how many people Jerome has personally one-on-one led to Christ. He said, because you wouldn't believe me. But he said, it's well north of a 1,000. That he's personally led to Jesus Christ. Now, what I want you to see about, what I want you to see about Jerome's life is his life outlook, his life perspective went drastically different, right? It went from being about drugs to being about Jesus. It went about being making money on a drug deal to serving other people. It went about being about me to being about Christ. And don't you know, when Jerome started going to church, that Satan had some lies for him, right? What are you doing in church? You don't deserve to be in church. Nobody at church is going to want you there when they find out about your past. But good, you can't break your addiction. You can't have a better life. You can't do anything different than you've always done. I mean, don't you know Satan had so many lies to feed him? You don't belong here. But God's truth is what? Everybody belongs if they'll trust in Jesus, right? Jesus has arms wide. When Jesus stretched out his arms and died on the cross, he stretched them out wide open, wide enough for you and wide enough for me. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. And so the trick, what we want to do today, the trick is to learn to spot the lies that Satan has about us and he he sends to us about life in general and to spot the truth that God offers us about life in general. We've talked about lies about God. Is God brilliant or boring? Is God a fault finder or is God a, a, a wonderful father? Is God a punisher or is God a parent? Everybody say parent, right? If you're in Christ, he is. Is God a guilt causer or a guilt cleanser? And so we saw these things about God. One of the verses that I've, I've encouraged you in the morning when you get up to declare the truth about God, declare the truth about who God is. And, you know, we talked about things like no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That's one of the ones I've been using a lot lately. One of my favorite ones, and I've kind of held out on you. One of my favorite ones is Jeremiah 32, 41, where God says in the New International Version, I will rejoice in doing them. If you belong to God, you can say, put your name in there. You're a them. I rejoice in doing them. What? Everybody say it real loud. I rejoice. It's like a good parent, right? This is the truth about God. Satan says he's boring. He's a punisher. He takes the fun out of your life. You're not going to enjoy being, being a Christian. God says, the God of the universe, I rejoice in doing you good. So we saw agreements about God. We saw agreements about ourselves that we're not competent in and of ourselves, but our competency comes from where? Christ, from Christ. So not today. What about life in general? Because life in general, what can it be? Is life an adventure or just something boring? Is life one trouble after another? <laughs> Some people might feel that way sometimes. Or is it one opportunity after another? Is life simply hard? Or is life sometimes hard but also holy? Is life miserable or magnificent? Now, magnificent can be hard, right? Magnificent doesn't mean everything goes your way. Magnificence means it's worth more than you thought it was. And the fact that you exist is a, is a magnificent miracle. 
The chances of you being you and showing up on earth are like zillions to one, man. I mean, you are a miracle in and of yourself. And you get the chance, you get the opportunity to do life with God. And so what Paul says, what Paul recognizes here is that the truth is life is not just these things. Life is in God. He offers life. He invites you. Everybody say, invites me. He invites you to do life with him. Life is a with him experience. God offers us eternal opportunities. And the truth is, when you do life with God, open to God, surrender to God as your king, you never know what God might do. You never know what possibilities God may bring your way. See, the truth is, Paul saw that life was about furthering the gospel. Look at, look at the agreement that Paul made in Philippians 1.12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. He said, you know, what life is about is helping other people know Jesus. And I've had the opportunity to do that. Now, he had to choose that, right? He had to choose in the things that happened to him to do what? To share the gospel, to keep his eyes on Jesus. And because of that, we have this great verse in the Scripture, and we can understand that the things, the things that Paul's talking about was he was in jail, falsely accused. He had been beaten with rods when he was at the church at Philippi, the church he's writing this letter to. He'd been unjustly jailed there. He'd had his feet put in stocks. All of that's been going on. And so the things that Paul's talking about were hard things, were unjust things, were awful things from a human perspective. But Paul said, I've, I've got the perspective. I've made an agreement with God that this is an opportunity to further the gospel. You can do that anywhere, anytime, any place, guys. So let me tell you three things I think God wants us to see this morning. To have the right agreements about God. Here's the thing. This actually, if we will believe God, will change all of our lives. Because Satan's going to lie and you're going to wake up and you're going to see life as something differently than what God does without God's help. First thing I want you to see is life is about progress. Life is about progress. God is about growing us. One of the agreements we need to make with God is, I am going to grow in Christ. I am going to grow in my knowledge of Christ. When I say knowledge, I don't mean just what you know about him, but your experience of him. The knowledge is like you grow in the knowledge of somebody that you live with, the knowledge of somebody that you do life with, somebody that you work with, or you're on a sports team or a cheer team or something like that with. You don't just know facts. You get to know them. We grow in our knowledge of God, our usefulness for God, and we can become like Him. This is, what our, this is one of the agreements we need to make. Life is about progress. Everybody say progress. Look at Philippians 1.6, what Paul writes. From prison, be confident, confident, this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Look, look at that agreement. The agreement is this, God is working in me. It's not about I'm a great Christian. I don't even know what that looks like, to be honest with you. <laughs> the, you know, I, I've got it all together. Not ever going to get there, all right? But you can be on the way. You can be in progress. You can be growing. The, the thing is, the agreement you make is not, 
man, I can't believe it. I blew it again today. I stink at this being a Christian thing. I stink at being a mom. I stink at being a dad. I stink at being a family member. I just, I just can't ever get it right. That's, that's lies from the enemy. Here's the, here's the key agreement. I am growing. I choose even when I fail, even when I sin, I can choose to make this an opportunity to progress in the gospel to progress in my understanding and love of Jesus. Look at Philippians 1, 6 from the message. This has been, I love this this week as I've studied this. This is a great verse in the message. There's never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you, everybody say great work. Great work. You ever think about the fact that you are a great work in progress? God's doing a great work in you. Would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Jesus Christ appears. So no, you know what? Whatever happens to you, you can say, this is an opportunity. I'm going to progress in becoming like Jesus. What else can you say that about? I mean, I like to fish, but I can't use every opportunity to go fishing. <laughs> I like to read. Can't use every opportunity to read something. I use a lot of opportunities. I can't use every opportunity. I like to eat. I take a lot of opportunities to eat, Right? I can't do no matter what your deal is, work, whatever it is, you can't use every opportunity I don't know of of anything but in God. Every opportunity, the hard, the easy, the challenging, the ones that aren't fair, that aren't right, you can say, I choose to grow in Jesus here. You see, Satan wants to make you think that your agreement with life is something like this, man, life really stinks. And it may right? Sometimes life does say, I have such terrible luck. Nothing ever goes my way. Satan loves for you to believe that, love for you to say that, love for you to buy into that. I'll be glad when this day is over, and you may be glad when, when some day is over with, right? But you can also make the agreement that, Lord, thank you that you're going to use this to make me more like Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that there is an opportunity to shine for you right here. Thank you, Lord, that I can draw near to you right here. And here's, here's the cool thing you can ask. Lord, what are you working on right here? Lord, what are you working on in this situation, this good, hard, indifferent, boring, whatever it is, in this situation in my life, what are you working on to make me more like because he is he's at work that's about that's one of the best life agreements you can make guys is that whatever it is God what are you doing in my life right here but not only becoming like Jesus Philippians 1 12 I want you to know that the things which happened to me have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel he says the things unfairly put in jail corrupt politicians Corrupt judicial system, corrupt people doing things that weren't right, weren't fair, weren't good, unjustly charged, all this kind. These are the things. And Paul says, in these things, I make an agreement. It's going to be about furthering the gospel. It's going to be about making the most of this. What's the biggest splash we can make for Jesus right here? And you can do that no matter what situation, no matter what circumstance you're in. You have the opportunity with the Lord's help. Am I relying on God to do that? Philippians 1.13 in the message. Instead of being squelched, you know, the hard things being put in jail, Paul said, instead of squelching the gospel, the message has actually prospered. <laughs> All the soldiers here and everyone else too 
found out I'm in jail because of this Messiah. That piqued their curiosity, and now they've learned all about him. The agreement that he made was this was an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. So here's your weekly growth suggestion. Make an agreement something like this today. I'm going to grow in Christ-likeness and usefulness to Christ, okay? Whatever the situation is, I'm going to grow in Christ-likeness. I'm going to see where God's at work and help me to become more like Jesus. And I'm going to grow, I'm going to make progress in learning how to share my faith better. One of the best ways to learn how to share your faith better is share your faith. <laughs> Actually tell somebody about Jesus. Actually tell somebody what Christ has done in your life. And you learn. You learn to grow. You don't... You don't learn and memorize Bible verses and plans of salvation, all this kind of stuff, until you get it all perfect before you share your faith. Just do it. Just tell, you just invite somebody to church, tell somebody what God's doing in your life, and you learn to grow that way. Your agreement might be that life is better with God than without God. Amen? What if you woke up every day this week and said, thank you, Father. Today is better with you than without you. That today, life is opportunity, and I'm going to look for Second thing I want you to say, so first of all, there's progress. Secondly, though, there's possibilities. If you make an agreement with God that every day is an opportunity, that life is better uh, with him than without him, that you're going to progress, right? Progress in Christ-likeness and usefulness for Christ, then that just opens up possibilities that aren't open. I mean, you throw the door open for God to start doing some pretty cool things in your life. I mean, Philippians 1.6, remember what it says? Being confident of this very thing, he that's begun a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. So what if you woke up this morning, every day this week and said, God, thank you, thank you, thank you, that there's a possibility. I got possibility to be more like Jesus today. <laughs> and something's going to happen. Some of it's going to be hard. Some of it's going to be fine. Some of it's going to be fun. But Lord, I I thank you that I got an opportunity to be more like Jesus today. Thank you that I got, I got possibilities to think uh, to talk about Jesus today. And one of the things that I think is really helpful is that every day the possibilities really expound when we start thanking God. You see, Paul was confident, and he had already thanked God for the Philippians. He was confident that God was going to complete his work in him. He was confident that the gospel was going to be furthered. So when you say that, you could just walk around all day saying, Lord, thank you. I got two legs at work. I got two legs that I could walk around on. Thank you, Lord, that I have a, 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 a flowers on the side of the road that I could just thank you for and I could just re rejoice to that. Thank you, Lord, that I'm going to have somebody I can say something to Jesus about. You can do it in a text, you can do it in a phone call, you can do it at the grocery store, wherever you're at. You can text somebody a Bible verse. You can buy somebody a gift. You can offer to pray with somebody. You can just be walking around during the day singing, I love you, Lord, and I lift my soul. To worship you. And you don't know what kind of possibilities of experience with Jesus that you might have there in that day. Hey, here's a, I love this, this quote, Rob Hoskins. He's a guy who leads a global ministry. And Rob Hoskins is a guy uh, whose family tree includes, includes pastors and missionaries spanning four generations. He's got a strong biblical heritage. He has a doctorate and two master's degrees in theology. So he's got a lot to draw from, right? So to a doctorate, two master's degree, four generations of pastors and missionaries. And here's what he said. I want you to listen to me. If you've been down a day dreaming, especially you grandparents, tune in right here. He says, what guides me more in my faith is my grandmother's example of a lived out faith. 
all the doctors, all the masters, all the stuff he's come from, he said, the thing that impacts my life the most is seeing my grandmother's faith lived out. You've got the possibility of being that for somebody. To show somebody what a real, authentic, lived out faith looks like to your brothers and sisters, to your parents, to your grandparents, your children, grandchildren, to the students to go to school with you, people in your youth group, you have the opportunity to say, this is what a genuine with sin and tears and laughter and jokes and all that, and apologies. This is what it looks like to authentically and with a very real heart to live with and for Jesus. Wouldn't you love somebody to say that about you? Man, the thing that's impacted me the most about Jesus, the thing that has guided me the most about Jesus is the way my grandparents, my parents, my brother, my sister, that guy, gal at the youth group, you and I can do that, guys. Yes, it may be hard. Yes, it will be difficult. But the possibility is there for all of us. I heard where one pastor wrote and said about reaching people for Jesus, taking the possibilities. He said, we'll do anything short of sin to reach anybody anywhere. How about that for a challenge? How <laughs> about that for a mission statement? We'll do anything short of sin to reach anybody anywhere with the gospel. Why? Because people are going to eternity and they need Jesus more than they need anything else. This is the most important thing in all of our lives. And if we make an agreement about life, that life's about money and life's about fun and life's about being comfortable and life's about being liked, all these other kind of things that we tend to go into, if we make agreements that that's what life's about, man, we run the risk of wasting this one wild and precious life. As a church during the Jesus Revolution, um, they were starting to reach some of these teenagers for, for Christ, some of these, the hippies and the, all that kind of generation for Christ. And uh, because this one church was reaching so many, uh, there was another church in town that wanted that kind of thing. So they wanted, but they didn't want all the dirty teenagers in their church on Sunday. <laughs> so they decided to do a Monday night thing. And they got some folks, you know, from this church to come do the Monday night thing. And, and it's kind of hard, you know, the people trying to control it and trying to make it where, you know, it was nice and clean and all that. Sometimes ministry is not nice and clean, right? Sometimes it's kind of messy. And so one night, nobody could go do the service. I had a 19-year-old guy there named Greg. Greg was just, they said Greg's kind of like a little brother just hangs around. He just hung around church. He just hung around. And, you know, he was the kind of the guy, they said, anything nobody else wanted to do is that let Greg do it. <laughs> He's kind of a little brother that eats those smushed up peanut butter jelly sandwich, you know, nobody else wants. Let Greg do it. So they were like, who's going to the, to the church tonight to do the, uh, on Monday night to do the, the thing? And like, no, I can't go, can't go. So I was like, Tell, let Greg do it. And Greg's like, yes, grabbed up his Bible and headed out. <laughs> See, we need to learn to say yes to Jesus faster than Taylor Swift concerts sell out. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. Say yes to Jesus faster than that. And so Greg said yes, and so he went. He's 19 years old. He went, and the very proper, you know, church fellow that was in charge, kind of in charge of things, uh, when, when Greg came in, said, you can have a seat right over here until the preacher gets here. And he said, I'm him. <laughs> I'm the straight. They sent me tonight. And the guy looked at him. He's like, really? Yeah. It's like, all right, you can do it once. <laughs> you can do it once. That's all. And so he spoke that night and asked me if I wanted to receive Christ to come forward, and six people got saved. And so the guy said, all right, you can come back next week. 
but it's week to week, all right? It's week to week, okay? Just one week at a time. And so after a little bit, they decided uh, they didn't really want to do this after all. And so, so Greg lost his opportunity to speak each week. But uh, sometime later, his pastor found a church that had been gutted. They'd just been, they just, it just they quit having church there. They tried to sell it, couldn't sell it. People, they'd sold all their solar pews and stuff. So it's just a trash building. And uh, they bought it. And he gave it to Greg. And he said, Greg, here's your church. <laughs> you want to speak? Here it is. You gotta, and he's like, man, this is a dump, you know. But Greg Laurie took it and some of you know who Greg Laurie is pastor uh, of, of the Harvest Fellowship Church uh, one of the largest churches in the country now started in a just dump of a church because what he said yes to the possibility of becoming like Jesus and sharing Jesus with somebody I think if Greg was here he'd say I want to do that one word testimony you're talking about who knows what the possibility is if I, with my wife, with my husband, my children, if they hear me stand up in church and share about what Christ is doing in me. Last of all, there's purpose to it. You and I can make an agreement with God that life is not just random. Life is not just fate. It's not just, you know, the luck of the draw. That life actually has purpose. And the purpose is we're going to make progress in saying yes to the possibilities that God brings our way. That life is for God and with God. And there's no limit to the possibilities that God will bring our way, even if it looks very, very small. One person wrote it this way, said many people die in their 20s or 30s. We just don't get around to burying them until they're in their 80s or 90s. See, I love to see 80-year-old people. I see some, I know some. I love to see 80-year-old people on fire for Jesus. <laughs> but God gives me hope, right? Because one of the sins you have to deal with as you get older is cynicism. Ah, it's not going to be that great. I've seen all this before, you know, I've done this, seen this, you know, nothing really new. Solomon said nothing really new under the sun, but it is. <laughs> God's saving new people. God's setting people free from addictions. God's doing things in churches and bringing revival and things like that. The choice is, are we going to align with God's purpose for our life? Let me close with a cool story that will, help, that will help us hopefully see our purpose in life. Craig Rochelle's pastor of Life Church. He's a, that's the church that did the Uversion Bible. Uh, Craig said that his dad was one of the best examples of what a Christian man should be like that he had ever witnessed. And he said it wasn't true till late in his dad's life. He said growing up, he said, I never saw his dad sober after 10 o'clock in the evening one night. He said, I pray, he said, he wasn't my best example. He was at the top of my prayer list for my, all my growing up years. He said, I prayed for my dad as a teenager. He said, I prayed for my dad before I was a Christian. I prayed for him as a college student. I prayed for him as a pastor. I continued to pray and pray and pray for my dad because, I mean, like I said, drunk every night. Scotch and water and very little water. And he said, one day his dad realized, I need help. I need help. And guess where he decided to go? Decided to go to church. Decided to go to church and ask for help. A grown man, probably in his 50s or 60s or so. He went to church and said, I, I, I need help. And they helped him. They prayed for him, led him to Christ, got him in a rehab program. And um, Craig, Craig said, he said, he just became the church. 
And um, his dad passed away this year. I heard him talk about his dad in a sermon that he preached on January 15th of this year. His dad had just passed away a week or so before that. And he said when his dad passed away, he said, you know, that day at the funeral, he said, he said it was one of those incredible things because people kept coming by and they were person after person saying things like, your dad was like a father to me. And he said his dad, he said he lived way below his means. He said he lived below the poverty line. He said his carpet in his house is nasty. <laughs> he said, we're getting the carpet out this week. <laughs> he said, I would tell him, Dad, this carpet's nasty. You need to buy some new carpet. I don't want to buy any new carpet. Just, you know, didn't want to spend money on himself. You know, just, just, just you know, kind of look, what looked like very miserly kind of like guy. But he said, man, people after person after person come by and say things like, your dad's like a father to me. He paid for my college tuition. Your dad paid for my daughter's tennis lessons. Your dad helped me get sober. A young couple came. Your dad saved our marriage. One lady said, your dad picked up my son who was an addict, didn't have a car, and drove him to church every week. <laughs> every week. Got him in a program. Got this lady's son in a program. Got him sober. Um, led him to Christ. And then went to a water trough, filled it up, and made him get baptized. <laughs> and that's what she said. He made him get baptized. And that may not be the best way to go about it, but you understand the kind of idea. He said he'd become the, the best example of what the church is not going to church what the church does for him and he said I think the thing he was most proud of is that they built a home for people coming out of rehab coming out of addiction uh, kind of a halfway house to kind of help them get adjusted in their life a kind of a, a place where they can go and stay and uh, not exactly rehab but help them find jobs and things like that Craig's dad's name was Tom so they built this house and they named it Tom's house Tom's house. I think he was more proud of that than anything else. Why? Whereas his purpose before was himself and his scotch and trying to feel good or trying to forget his problems, his purpose became, I'm going to become more like Jesus and I'm going to come without anybody knowing it, without telling anybody about it, I'm going to become useful. I'm going to have a purpose in my life, which is helping other people get to know Jesus. Would you stand please with heads bowed and eyes closed?